Welcome to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Scott of Denver Seminary. What are the challenges we face in today's church and culture in a postmodern, post-Christian era? Dr. Haley believes that in addressing those issues, the church must adopt a missional mindset. Christianity does hold the answers to the big questions of today's culture. Let's join Dr. Haley for today's edition of Christian Curious. On the evening of September 11th, 2001, I sat on the balcony overlooking the pool in our apartment community, tears streaming down my face. I remember it just like it was yesterday. My husband Paul and I had been married only three months, and I was overwhelmed by a sense that neither Paul, I, or our children would ever know a world of peace peace again. This is Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott and guest co-host Hannah Greaser. Here we discuss the most challenging theological and philosophical questions pressing upon the church today. This week is the second week of Advent um, in our series on Advent. During the second week of Advent, the church historically focuses on the concept of peace. So, Hannah... What do you think the world would look like if it was a completely peaceful place? Heaven. <laughs> That's a big question. Um, it is a big question. I think I think if you're talking about world peace, it would be everybody striving for a common goal. But I think the lack of peace comes when everybody desires and pursues and believes different things and it turns violent or divisive. Um, And I think if there is peace, everything would be a lot more efficient on an individual and a global scale. But I don't know how to get there. (laughs) Right. That's not the world that we live in. You and we can't get it there. That's the I guess that's the main point. Yeah. Um, Today, Pastor Tracy Bianchi is back with us to discuss peace, which is the theme for the second week of Advent and how we can pursue it. Tracy Bianchi is a writer, speaker, and pastor who makes her home in the Chicago area. She served as the worship and teaching pastor in her local church for over 15 years, where she regularly preached and led in a congregation of more than 3,000 people. She's the author of four books on topics ranging from spiritual formation and leadership for women to environmental stewardship and motherhood. She has a husband and three teenage children. Tracy, welcome to the show. Hey, Haley. Hey, Hannah. Thanks for having me. Well, Tracy, you know, for people our age, we were alive and we were adults before when 2001 happened. But so many people alive today, those born directly prior to and up until 2001, have never really known a world of peace. How would you describe peace, like peace within and peace without? Yeah, you know, throughout throughout most of human history, uh, depending on where you live and what your experiences are, there has there's always been version of unrest and um, terror or war in the world. It's this. Um, kind of gross part of human existence that ebbs and flows. And so, um, like you said, you know, for uh, many Americans who had some sort of um, experience, a short-term experience of peace, um, like you said, that was kind of unraveled for a lot of Americans at that time. But the reality is that, I mean, globally, 
um, people have been struggling and yearning for peace for so long. And it's this um, elusive concept that we all talk about or we, you know, do the peace sign with your fingers or, mm-hmm. you know, my kids say peace out to each other, you know, but what does that mean, you know? And um, I think there's this really easy answer that um, perhaps we give culturally sometimes and we just say, okay, well, peace is the absence of war and conflict. And partially, yes, uh, peace is the absence of those things. Uh, But peace biblically, uh, the biblical idea of shalom, um, which is um, means peace, is uh, is this um, beautiful idea of balance, of flourishing for all people, um, of health, and of harmony with the land um, and with the source of our resources. Um, it is uh, a way of existing where no one lives with the gnawing ache to fill um, a void in their lives. Um, you know, there are, you know, uh, globally people who have and people who have not. There are those that have resources. There are those who do not. There is um, this constant clamoring and yearning to fill our empty spaces with the things and the stuff that exist in this world and money or whatever it is. And peace is um, a space and experience where um, that hunger has been satiated by God, not by things, and where there is this um, beautiful right distribution of power and of um, resources, again, so that uh, people can flourish. And, um, and no one longs for an ache for anything, including um, creation itself. You so know, that's kind of a big vision. <laughs> you know, I love the word shalom. I really think that we need to be uh, re-educated in that word and sort of redeem it from history and start using it again. Yeah, because it, it, it is, a, um, it is a, a paradigm, you know, that you want to live into. It is a, um, you know, it is, it is more than just a word. It, it, it is a call to a way of being and an acknowledgement of the divine presence of God in other people. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's... It's like, um, I know not everybody lives in a snowy climate, but uh, for those who do, it's this sort of like blanket of justice and righteousness and comfort and care that kind of falls on all things equally. And it is just this robust, beautiful concept that you're right. We, I mean, how many people walk around today unless it's your it, you know, ethnic or religious tradition to do so? Most people don't walk around and say shalom to one another. but. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be cool if we did? Because that would be saying to another person, um, do you want this experience? I want it too. Let's work for it together. <laughs> I love your definition of peace. I think anybody who heard that will crave peace just the way you described it. And even almost the, the synonym of balance. Um, I know, you know, I'm in my early 20s. A lot of the people I know, it's the first time that they're in a point in their life where there's no set structure. So like um, they 
have to pave a way for themselves in the world. And the biggest problem I feel like people have is they don't know how to balance the different components of their life. And they feel like they've kind of, they feel this lack of peace, I would say. Um, in your opinion, how does a lack of peace impact us as individuals? And how does that filter out to how peace affects everybody or a lack of peace affects everybody, I would say? Yeah, you know, uh, we, um, when we don't have peace, which the reality is most of us unfortunately don't, um, if we all did have a sense of peace and there was a global sense of peace, clearly the world would be dramatically different than it is today. And so when we don't have that um, and we lack that, that reality in our lives, we, we, we often begin to act out of a scarcity mindset. Um, we think, okay, well, I feel unsettled. Um, things aren't right. Um, there's uh, things out of balance, or maybe there's a an imbalance in power or uh, resourcing, and and we begin to um, act towards one another with a scarcity mindset, and we begin to look at another person and think, okay, well, they have this. What can I do to acquire that for myself or for my people? And um, we begin to hold things that others might need um, close to ourselves because we're afraid perhaps that, you know, we might not get something that we want, especially I think sometimes, you know, when we're looking for work or going through transitions from maybe from a setting, like you said, that was more structured into a more fluid setting or we're, we're unemployed right now or things like that. So you may get a moment where you get a break or you get, um, an opportunity or a job, and then you have a decision to make um, in that moment. Do I use what I just gained to help others, or do I do I do I clutch it tight because I'm afraid it might be it might vanish? I mean, that's and that's a very real, tangible fear we carry. But when we live with scarcity instead of an open hand, um, we begin to curve in on ourselves. And we tighten our fists, and we tighten our—you know—we we tighten up everything, and then we we can't release and relax and be present to each other because now we view one another as competitors in this sort of game we're playing instead of um, shared partners on a journey. Um, you know, I think the the, <laughs> the principle of scarcity is so important. You know, I first came across that as I was researching uh, female leaders and how female leaders often act based upon the principle of scarcity and by that I mean if a woman has achieved a leadership position she sort of is more reluctant to you know you know I don't want to like alienate women leaders in general but a lot of women leaders are hesitant to mentor younger women into leadership roles or to be you know, their advocate within a given organization because they feel like, okay, they've made one room for me, you know, and there's only one room for one woman it, rather than operating with an open hand and providing opportunities for people to grow, to learn, and to be changed. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I confess I have experienced that. I have you know, been an ordained female pastor for over 15 years. And I have had to check myself over the years because 
I've lived with this scarcity mindset that, okay, there is only room for one ordained female in this organization. You know, never mind that there may be, you know, eight ordained males in a certain organization. So many women who serve as pastors think, okay, well, you know, they had spot for one token woman at the table. And so if another woman comes in, that must mean I'm on my way out, which is not true. Right. <laughs> but it is this, you know, and I think that, you know, while specifically, of course, it's an example about, you know, my own experience in ministry, but that happens over and over and over and over and over again. It's like, you know, in all stages of life, like there are only so many pieces of pie. And if somebody comes in and takes a piece, that must mean less for me. And meanwhile, there's this, God, who's like, look, everybody, I just baked a bigger pie. <laughs> and there's room for all of you in your gifts and callings here. Um, but that mindset eats away our peace. It is what keeps us up at night. It is what keeps us fighting. It is what keeps us pointing fingers and arguing because we are afraid at the core that if they get something, we won't. And it is a tragic way. Uh, Miroslav Volf or Walter Brueggemann, one of those wonderful theologians, talks about, um, you know, in our market-driven economy, we see each other as commodities now instead of human beings. And we wonder what we can or can't get from another person subliminally, not consciously most of us but subliminally that factors into our thinking with people which is scary and takes away when you think of advent and the peace that comes there (laughs) and and how most of us move through our days it's so much the opposite well you know earlier you mentioned that we're all seeking peace um whether that peace is outside in the world or more often it's just peace within ourselves um, how are the some? What are some of the ways that people tend to um, to seek a artificial type of peace? Yeah, you know, and I think it, it's tied again to this sort of acquisition accumulation um, culture that we live in. You know, so we look for accolades. Um, we want to win the game, win the day, win the job, win the promotion. And again, those are not bad things to desire. But when they um, become our primary focus, they can become almost an obsession for some of us. Um, some of us are addicted to accolades um, or you know, addicted to the idea of being influencers or acquiring or accumulating followers. You know, some of that stuff can tip into addictive behaviors. Um, addictions themselves you know, can become part of this picture. We, Um, cannot find peace within ourselves. We cannot find peace or reconcile ourselves with God. So we, maybe we self-medicate or we drink it or we, you know, we do substances or whatever it might be to get to this place where um, we feel something that we're longing for. Um, And so, you know, there's so many addictive patterns and behaviors in our culture that are fueled um, by our inability to be at peace with ourselves and others and certainly with our God. I'm curious if you think that, so say that, you know, somebody or that we are using one of these peace idols, (laughs) say, you know, we're maybe drinking too much or just trying to get more professional accolades. Do you think if we hold on to false peace, it's still possible to attain real peace or there has to be some kind of transaction there? Yeah, that's a great question. I, um, I think there has to be a transaction, but I think it doesn't have to be an abrupt black or white transaction. Um, you know, I think that it's not 
probably as easy as going, okay, stop doing this, and then peace will find you, the real peace kind of thing. Well, ultimately that might be the goal. But I think there's this sort of moment that you have where, like, maybe, you know, just to put it in, like, a, a picture, an image, is, like, you know, maybe with your left hand you are just, you know, holding so tight to these false um, narratives that would bring you peace in your life. And then on the right hand you're holding, you know, to God or reaching for God. And so and God, meanwhile, is looking at you saying, you are enough. You are enough. You do not have to achieve. You do not have to clamor for more. I will give you enough, and you are enough. And so there's this sort of releasing of that, those false idols of peace and this transition, this handoff, almost like a, a you know, someone running a relay or something, and there's this kind of letting go of one while holding more tight to the other. And, you know, for most of us, that's a process. You know, that's a, a, a slow transition that happens as we become more aware of God and of, of what we're clutching. But I think that that's so true. There has to eventually be a handoff mm-hmm. um, in our lives from one false set of narratives to the truth of God. You know, as you've looked over the landscape of 2020, I mean, I've often had my own thoughts about, you know, the civil unrest, um, the uncertainty about the pandemic, and so many other things you know, what? what is your perspective on, as you look at the landscape of what's happening in America and really around the world, um, where are we longing for peace the most, do you think? Whew, yeah. I mean, I guess in some ways it might depend on what country you're in, what community you're in, what the, what the texture or contour of your life is. You know, I think there's these um, kind of smaller circles where people might be longing for peace because um, they might be in an abusive relationship or a violent um, family. And so there's a very, um, you know, immediate need right in their own home. Um, But then there's, of course, the global, you know, cries right now. You know, I mean, one of the rallying cries in our country has been no justice, no peace, you know. And so, um, you know, th- that deep desire globally for things um, to be made right. Um, and so we're, you know, we're, we're longing for those things, I think, individually, but also at these macro global levels. And it's, it's so interesting because in the um, Christmas narratives, you know, and Isaiah 11 is this beautiful prophecy of the coming of Christ. It is um, an Advent scripture. It is um, read and studied to talk about the coming of the Messiah. And it's so interesting because it's that passage um, where it talks about the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, um, the cow will feed with the bear. I can't remember all of it, but it goes on and on and on about all of these predators and pray that we're um, consuming each other, finding balance and meaning in the peace of Christ and lying down together as friends and companions on a shared journey. And I think that's um, the goal. And that's what I'm seeing culturally is we are devouring each other. But the beauty of the Christmas narrative and part of the Advent journey is remembering that we will be laying down together together. Um, 
Well, you know, I don't I, know if that means <laughs> I, it totally does. And, you know, it just really makes me think about the arc of history and where is it that we're going? I used to think about this as um, this reasoning when I became a vegetarian. I thought, okay, so if there's going to be no death in heaven, then why do I continue to eat meat if I don't actually have to have it? And when it comes to peace, if if the arc of history is leading us to a place of peace where the predators lay down with the prey, one of the opportunities for Christians to actually embody this type of peace and show it to the world would be to demonstrate the peace that they know is coming and to sort of enact in a way moving enact the future in a way so you're acting as if one day the lion will lay down with the lamb and that is the type of peace that you could strive to bring to your community it's a great opportunity for christians yeah i mean to practice that future promise is so significant you know it's not just something that's going to happen one day all of a sudden the lights will flip on and there will be peace it's like you said that's so true it's this um stunning activity now that reflects um part of the, the fullness of what's coming and you know and for you know and we all know this right you know christians are known as the, some of the most aggressive obnoxious people mm-hmm. these days they're not often known as purveyors of peace but you know what would it look like during advent to um, practice peace-filled actions and behaviors towards your neighbors, even the ones who you disagree vehemently with, and maybe you don't vote like them, think like them, you know, learn like them, socialize like them. But what would it look like to um, to be peace-filled towards them um, at this time, which would usher in a little bit of heaven right now, which we could certainly use. No doubt. Right. Tracy, I'm going to ask your own question back to you in a sense, and um, I'm just curious about what are some spiritual practices that can help us find inner peace? Yeah, you know, um, part of it is reminding ourselves that this is what we're chasing after, um, because, and I think Haley um, alluded to it earlier, that word shalom, right? We don't use these words every day. Maybe we say peace out, but that's pretty much it. Um, But the church has this tradition of um, saying to one another throughout the ages, peace be with you. And in some congregations, there's even an exchanging of peace. And so, you know, and maybe you don't say it. Maybe you're going to not walk up to your neighbor and think and say, peace be with you, because they're going to be like, ooh, that was awkward. You know, maybe they don't go to church or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, can you make a practice whenever it makes sense of saying to another person, peace be with you, or thinking that about another person, um, maybe somebody you even disagree with or just you know a person that you cross paths with thinking lord peace be with them peace be with you because it it ushers that phrase pulls that future peace down into this day and wishes for them balance and flourishing and invites for a moment you to view that person not as a commodity but as a, as, a, as a human being beloved by God. So something simple like that, just saying peace be with you, 
or um, praying um, for peace with your family or your best friend or, you know, a roommate or somebody that, you know, you keep in touch with, just committing to pray together for peace is so significant. I mean, you wouldn't, it would change so dramatically if we started saying peace be with you to one another. Um, and so that's an ancient practice that we could bring into our modern-day vernacular, as clumsy as that could feel. It would be a great practice uh, for people during Advent. Yeah, that is definitely great ways to bring, um, to demonstrate peace and community. What would you say to a person whose, you know, whose soul may be all twisted up inside with various worries, various concerns, um, and just distraught by life circumstances that have, you know, that that the year has brought their way, how would they be able to practice peace during this week and start to try to find the inner peace? Yeah, I I think for a lot of us who feel that way, um, it's reminding ourselves that God is with us. And I think we think God is with us when things go right, or if something goes right, it must be like, oh, okay, thank you, God. Or we say things like God really showed up. You know, we, we say this in Christian language. Oh, I was praying and God showed up. And you know, Oh, my gosh, I hate is, that phrase. Can I say that? It, <laughs> <laughs> it, no, God is here the whole time. <laughs> right. God is here the whole time. And, yeah, yeah. it's one of yeah. my pet peeves. But yeah, go on. I mean, yeah. And, remembering that that's all it is it's remembering that reality that like you were never alone and i mean i think of some of the gross atrocities throughout human history that people have suffered through god never left the sides of of people he's always present he never ever once promised life would be easy he never promised that terror and violence and horror would not happen. God never said those things won't happen. But what God does say is that I will be with you in it all. And so when we remember that in the darkest, most gross and horrific places of human suffering, God is there. And all we need to do is trust in that reality. And we then feel less alone, and there is some peace that begins to come in that reality. And our circumstances might not change overnight, much as we wish they could. Um, They might not change this side of heaven, but we are not alone in our suffering, and that is a tremendous source of peace. We are not alone in our suffering. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us again today. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, be sure to join us next week for the third week in Advent in which we discuss the theme of love. You've been listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley Gray Scott and Hannah Greaser. And as always, reach out to me with your thoughts and questions at Haley at HGScott.com. That's H-A-L-E-E at HGScott.com. Stay curious. Thank you for listening to Christian Curious with Dr. Haley. You can contact her with your comments or questions about today's show at her email, drhaley at christiancurious.org. That's D-R-H-A-L-E-E at christiancurious.org. You may also learn more by visiting the Christian Curious website, christiancurious.org. Join Dr. Haley again next week for Christian Curious on AM 670 KLTT.